Hey guys, welcome to the Elite Coaching Podcast, episode 13. We are going to be running through today. Some appetite and hunger. Joined today with my senior coach, Dermot. How are you, bud? Hey, I'm all good, man. All good. It's been a, it's been a big, long day, I must say. Um, but that last that last final run in the evening, I'll, I'll find it somewhere. <laughs> I think uh, my, my mo- <clears throat> obviously we're, we're Monday today recording this, my... Uh, my Mondays are, are my, my best day of the week. Like I was like, I think 15 check-ins to do. Um, and I just like today, you know, we don't have any calls scheduled. It's just a good, it's just, for me, it's a great start to the week. I always get work done pretty early and get training done, drop Harper to school. It's always one of those days where I'm like, I actually look forward to my Monday. And I never thought in a million years, I'd be in a position that I'd say I look forward to my Monday, but I do. Yeah, it's, I feel you there, man. I, I, I'm, the, I'm the exact same. I mean, it's a weird one, I suppose, isn't it? Like, yeah, considering that probably so many people dislike their Mondays and we love our Mondays, that's probably strange for people to listen to. Yeah. Um. Now, to to be fair, like, um, it's not as if it's always been the case. Like, I can't can't say that it's all. It's always been. It's always been the case for me where I've all, always been so excited for a Monday because it ha- hasn't. But um. Yeah, no, I'm pr- pretty happy with the spot that I'm in at the moment. That my, my Mondays are, my Mondays are also like my Sundays and my my Thursdays as well. I kind of just do the same thing, um, right. and it's okay. Right. I kind of right. yeah. I think for, for myself, a massive turning point in the last three at least three months was having that like differential in days because it got to a point where it got in December, November, December last year. Every day was just the same. It was like we wake up at six a.m. and do check-ins until the cows came home, and then. But that was like Monday to Sunday. But at least now, just with the way we have things structured, like I, I will program over the weekend. But it's like a differential in the day. So when it comes back into Monday, my Fridays are pretty relaxed with check-ins as well. So I program most of Saturday, program and do videos most of Sunday, and then by the time it comes back into Monday, like I'm actually pretty excited to get back into. The, the check-in but I think it's very important to have that like differential in your week especially as coaches we all fall victim into just the same days every day is the same thing and every day just like rolls into one or it doesn't matter if it's a Wednesday or if it's a Sunday it's like every single day is just the same and for myself a massive turning point was just having that little bit of a bit difference in days in the week <laughs> yeah um, I, I suppose do you do check-ins on a on a Saturday? No, so so I okay. used to do check-ins every day, Monday to Sunday, um, okay. but now I only do Monday to Friday. And whenever we have like console calls or onboarding, I'll do all that during the week, and then I'll basically program on Saturday, and I'll record all of my onboarding videos or like stuff like that that needs to be done, new programming setups, um, on Sunday. So that's how my, my week is set up, but um. It's just having that dif- having that difference in the week, the days. It's great. Like I said, my week used to be just like one just straight line of just nothing. And even even when I was when I was PTing, it's kind of the same thing as well. I used to take clients on Saturday and Sunday because I was just like crazy for PT on the gym floor. Loved it. Like every single day, I was like, okay, more clients and more clients and more clients. <laughs> just obsessed with coaching people, and it was the same. Like Monday to Friday flat to the mat 6 a.m until 9 and then saturday and sunday it was like seven to like one or two both days and then 
Amy was like, you have to cut that shit out now. <laughs> you have a family, you can't be in the gym all the time. So I had to scale back. <laughs> yeah, um, I suppose I don't. So I, I, the only person who gives out to me is Lucia, but I suppose Lucia is not worse. She's the, we're very alike on that note where we, we will quite easily get up at like she'll probably get up at six I'll probably get up at half six and we'll probably continue to work until nine o'clock like she's she's working at the moment as well yeah yeah but I think that's I think you know like, like environments I think environments create behavior and when you're in that environment where the work ethic is so high I think that's what instills it a lot. And it happened, like for myself, when I first started off in coaching, the environment that I worked in, like that just drove me to like where we are today, just that every single day. Like it doesn't matter if it's 4 a.m., 6 a.m., 12, you you work and you get your job done and you just have that aggressive mentality. But like you said, I think it comes from the behavior. And I think probably a lot of people, I know we're going off on a massive tangent here, but probably <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of people don't, appreciate that because they've never been in that environment before and probably like it probably is downfall of a lot of people as well maybe is that they're not in that environment enough you know because you know yourself probably the first time you were ever exposed to an environment like that where it was very driven on just work ethic and like from the time you get up to the time you got to sleep you just fucking work and work and just keep on working until you cannot work anymore like for the first time exposed that you're like shit like this is this is pretty intense but then once you've been exposed to it very very difficult to get yourself out of that mindset but i think it just it's very hard to teach you have to be like i say like just put into that environment to actually understand what it's about yeah i suppose you, you get less fragile um you get less less fragile with time um and it just becomes something that you do and it's no longer a big deal um, and i suppose that that's now to be fair like we're both in a position where the people around us allow that to be the case yeah um and one of the one of the big things um, that I know I, that I, I have seen from just just since me and Lucia got together three three years ago is like she's like you 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 know as well she's like one of them people who will just consistently consistently work and is just so gritty in whatever she is doing um, it, it's fantastic but like there's a very real opportunity that like when we got together, there was a very real opportunity that if I don't step up to her level, I'm going to drag her down. Mm. Um, and that, that has been one of the things that like has, has driven me quite a lot to the point where now it's just like clock, clockwork now, but it's like, there, there is situations where you, you may be the problem and you may need to step it up a gear in order to allow people around you to, to excel. Um, yeah like i said you 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 were you were exposed to that environment where you you didn't know that environment and obviously she was exposed to it from whether it was her parents or somebody else brought her into that and it's like look this is what you have to do and i think that's such an important um important thing to 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 go through like you you probably wouldn't be in the position you're in today if it wasn't for her teaching you that 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 work ethic oh man you've you've no idea no idea (laughs) <laughs> lazy d <laughs> no not 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 that just not where i am at the moment no not definitely but look man every great man needs an even greater woman to back him and support him i have as well They're like i couldn't do what i do without my missus man 110 percent um, and like, pause this now and just not send to anybody except for G and Amy. <laughs> uh, no, but we couldn't do it. Like I couldn't work the way we work and support. And that's what it is. It's just support. And like, 
my my partner like literally would no matter what it is if i said i wanted to open 10 gyms tomorrow she'd be like you go and do it if i said i wanted to fucking fly to the moon she'd be like you go and do it and i'll support you and i'll back you but i think you need that because like she would also push me as well you know like she'll also be the one to you know if i'm having like bad days be the one to to pick me up and everyone does need that dude and sometimes it, it's not only their work ethic that drives you it's like it's your values as well. You know, like my value is having the best life as I can for Amy Harper. And like, she understands that as well. And she's like, right, we're both now going to work in sync to make sure that you live from within your values. And if it means that I have to take time away from them to work and build a business and work on the clients so that we can have the life that we have. She's like, I kind of, I get that as well. You know, she's like, I understand that. And that's kind of, okay. So I think that's, good good lesson it's good recommend to do an appetite and hunger podcast and look what the tangent we went down yeah um but <laughs> in saying that I, I will touch on environment now a little bit so that it does tie in technically yeah it does it does so we're going to um we're going to go through appetite and hunger now because i'm actually really looking forward to this and dermot is going to take a lot of the rain on this one and i'm, I'm really looking forward to hearing his takes on, on these topics because I think when we were both thinking about something to speak about, there's a lot of topics that came up, but this is probably one of the most prevalent, just in the sense of the the information that's out there, we felt like could need a little bit of a, a touch up. So we wanted to bring a little a little podcast in. And um, the what why did you want to speak about this today tonight? Why did you want to to bring this topic in? I just think it's like just interesting and cool. And I suppose I wanted to maybe dig a little bit deeper than leptin and ghrelin and eat fiber and protein and make sure you drink water. Um, so I, I just wanted to add an extra layer of um, what is actually going on here. Uh, and I suppose I have to get a little bit uncomfortable here. Um, meaning with the, how multifaceted, um, faceted, is that even a word? I don't know. But like, with the amount of areas that we have to cover as a exercise professional, um, we end up in pretty uncomfortable realms. When, like, when you take a, take a complex subject like this, who somebody has spent the last ten years talking about this one exact subject, um, and for me to kind of like dip dip in and try take what is applicable, um. And without also disrespecting its complexity is, is, a, is a challenging one, um, but it's, yeah. it's, an, it's enjoyable as well because it means that we can, I can, I can learn, learn new stuff and make my bit brain bigger. <laughs> I think you're dead right. And the, the way you approach that was, was spot on. It's an extremely complex topic that is simplified an awful lot and probably simplified for the, for the wrong reasons as well. You know, there's a lot of, like you said, misinformation out there, but there's also a lot of information out there that it's just simple information that's probably not really applicable or going to offer any form of a, of a causation. Um, so what, what, what we'll do first, I suppose we'll run through um, a bit of an overview of the gut hormones themselves and just some of the, those mechanisms that actually drive hunger. Yeah. Um, okay. So, um, a, a lot of this now is taken from um, a mi mix, mixture of, of um, places. So um, one, one of the, the best books that I've read on this topic is, uh, topic is um, The Hungry Brain by Stephen 
Geisen, I believe his second name, he, he's French um, or he's half French. So I actually don't know if, if that's how I'm pro pronouncing his second name, but it's a phenomenal book. Um, it's also a very, very complex book. And I, 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 tore, I tore it inside out and apart um, about six months ago. I, had, I, I previously read it about two years ago, but I sat down with and, and tore it apart and actually like put a bit of an understanding to it. Um, six months ago along with like I just had to go off and kind of google google these these neurological pathways and stuff like that so that's where I've, I've came back and kind of tied everything in here now um so when we look at appetite appetite regulation um we have a homeostatic versus a non-homeostatic um appetite regulation so the homeostatic would be like genuine things driving hunger versus the non-homeostatic things will be um, your environment, um, your, your, your stress. Now, again, that is technically an internal phenomenon as well, but like your psychological stress, let's say, or you're at a party or something like that. So it's something that is very environmentally driven is going to regulate appetite um, or the food that you're surrounded by as well is going to um, regulate, regulate appetite. So we then have a... Um, in under this homeostatic mechanism, we have a short short term versus a longer term um, uh, regulation. So the longer term would be things like um, the the strength of the leptin signaling that we're going to get from fat storage, as opposed to your short term regulation is going to be things like these um, gut hormones or gut distension. Um, that we're, we're going to dig a little bit deeper into. And now in a second so when we look at kind of uh, let's let's call it again i i'm not really massively interested in interested in public health nutrition and um, i like applying specifics to a specific individ individual but like when we look at these this global obesity epidemic um it is driven by a bit of a biological mismatch or a a biological pickle maybe is what we can call it um where we are, humans are driven to eat what is the most energy yielding in and the easiest to get our hands on. So if we take the calories that we gain from a food versus the calories it takes, the effort that it takes to gain that food, um, and the, the, the time taken, so it's just a little, little equation there. Um, and from when we have access to high caloric, hyperpalatable foods on that are just beside us, uh, they take no time, no energy yield to, sorry, no calorie expenditure to pick up the food. Just it's, it's just a recipe for for weight gain, I, I suppose. Um, so moving on and looking at like the the language of appetite. Um, so there's going to be a, a fair amount of words that I have pronounced pronounce wrong here. Um, so bear, bear with me. Um, so I, it's like when you're listening to some medical talk, doctors talk about nutrition and they kind of know what they're talking about, but they might not in some circumstances. Um, so bear with me here if you have a very decent understanding or, of neurology or neuroscience. Um, but anyway, we have, in the language of appetite, we have... Um, Two, two kind of main things. So we have an app, appetite stimulating, which, which is a orexigenic, or, or an appetite inhibiting, which is an anorexigenic. Um, 
And we need to look at this, um, what, what, what is driving this appetite now? And what is regulating it? And this is, this is regulated by the hypothalamus in, in the brain. Um, and see, the thing with the hypothalamus is it doesn't care about your weight loss goals. Um, it, it, it doesn't care. Um, although that might be that might get you to live longer in the long term, it doesn't care. It, it cares about what is going to get you to live longer in the short term, and that is food. Um, so, it, what we're going to see is if we are in a again, we're going to touch on this in a little bit more detail in time. Um, but we have this place called the arcuate nucleus um, in the hypothalamus. So, just just with a nucleus, it's not like a nucleus in a normal cell. It's actually just a a bundle of uh, neuronal cell bodies um, but in this accurate nucleus that that's where it, it's going to be regulating our hunger um, and so we have a couple of really cool things that act on um, this nucleus so we have leptin signaling coming from fat tissue which is like going to talk it, it like hand, hand in hand with the levels of body fat that you have based on like where, where, where your starting position is maybe, let's say. So let's say, for example, you're just after starting a, a fat loss phase. If, you, if you're after dropping um, 10 pounds, that, that leptin is, is going to be dropping, dropping down. Um, and, and then we have things from, from, from your, your pancreas. So um, in, insulin is going to stimulate I like it's going to have appetite um, suppressant effects. And then we have basically everything from your alimentary canal. So that is our, our gut hormones. Um, and then another thing that we do have is, um, so just on, on the topic of insulin. So when we, when we look at insulin, um, and this would be one of the big kind of debates that, um, one, of, one of the big debates is why, like why for, from the low carb guys is, this is why low carb is better, and it being because um, apparently in insulin um, increases appetite, which by the look of the research, it actually does not. Um, it, it does the opposite. Insulin tends to signal satiety. Um, but what we get from insulin is the drop in blood glucose. Um, and, and that in itself might be what is what is what is driving the what what is driving them to say that low, low carb is better from an from an appetite uh, regulation point of view and um, so just looking looking at the the gut hormones um quickly again it, it's very hard for me to touch on this without going into a, a little bit of detail and um, so bear with me here um so i've touched on this orexigenic which is the appetite stimulating um part of the, the hypothalamus um, and so we have two things called um, neuropeptide Y and AGRP, um, or a gouty-related um, peptide, um, so AGRP. And these, when these are stimulated, they increase appetite. And, and then in the anorexigenic, we have the decreased um, appetite, which is, if anybody's looking to kind of the stress response, you might be... Um, um, you might have heard these words before, but we have thing, uh, something called um, pro opio melanocortin, which st uh, stimulates um, alpha melanocyte stimulating hormone, MSH, um, I believe. Melanocyte. So, you know, I was right there. And then we also have a cocaine, a amphetamine, 
um, re- regulated transcript. Um, and they are going to be things that are going to be tapped on to decrease intake. And that's what we're going to see. So what, what happens is these hormones, we have um, GLP, GLP-1, CCK, um, pancreatic po- polypeptide, which are going to act on this MP, MPY and the AGRP, which then acts on this anorexic an, anorexigenic uh, nucleus, which is going to decrease um, appetite. Um, and then we're going to see pretty cool things from here. So I'm, see, I'm, I'm struggling to hear because I'm just spouting lots of noise and trying to make it as practical as possible. Um, so to make this practical, what we're going to see is things like... Um, these things are going to regulate like thyroid stimulating hormones. So a bit of a practical application. This is where we're going to see like a metabolic upregulation of, of thyroid from um, the in, increase in leptin, increase in these, these gut hormones um, and, and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, that is, that is a genuine overview. That was a mouthful. I do apologize. I just kept rambling. <laughs> No, 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 the point of today was to do this. It was to open people's eyes up to when we talk about hunger and appetite, that it's, it's not just as simple as what is out there at the moment. So no, I think that was, that was, that was cool. Um, do we want to dive a little bit into kind of what, what may be driving um, cravings? What, 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 where, because obviously cravings and, and hunger are going to massively fall into, fall into each other. Yeah, so this is massively. I think this is a little bit more enjoyable. I feel like I may have lost a few people there. Um, so this this is actually really really cool. Um, so the the craving and addiction pathway are like this. I don't call it say the same thing, but very very similar. Um, and it is a completely a dopamine a dopaminergic signaling pathway. Um, so we have receptors in our gut that are going to sense things like glucose, uh, glutamate, uh, salt, and through some pathway that I don't know the name of, um, it, it goes up, up to the brain and it's going to stimulate the VTA or the ventral uh, tegmental area. And from here, we're going to see like massive increases in dopamine. So we eat something um it, it's similar. It, so, so we have these receptors in our gut and we get this dopamine um, response in our brain. But just with, like with alcohol here, the, so if, if, you, you, if you have a shot versus if you have a beer, the dopamine response you get is bigger um, because of the, the kind of the density or the, like, um, yeah, the density of the alcohol. I, I don't, you know what I mean? The percentage wise when it's high. <laughs> it's late, I'm sorry. <laughs> Uh, concentration is the word yeah yeah the concentration yeah. i thought you were telling me that i need more concentration <laughs> the alcohol concentration i think we're trying to get out there uh, <laughs> yeah so this ventral tegmental area or the, the nucleus accumbens again this is something that you will come across if you look into appetite stuff um but so what you're going to see is these this entire situation this dopamine driving situation is going to be remembered um, but it's, so it's not only the food, but the, the situation and the kind of the picture of the food. Now I was going to do, now I waffled for a little bit too long. I was going to do something where I got you to imagine these broccoli versus I got you to imagine burger and the difference 
um, and I was going to get you to write your hunger and stuff like that. It would have been cool, but I don't have time for that now. <laughs> but what, what you will see is the, the environment can shape like a, a craving. So let's say, for example, in addictive behaviors, and I can't remember what book I was reading, some, some book where they were speaking about like, it was a drug addiction anyway, and they were, whenever this person was in a shopping aisle and they smelled detergents, that was a, a, a cue. And the, the smell of the detergent was enough to send them for a massive craving where they would go and relapse. Um, we, it's two, same, same, but different in, in a, a food environment. So if we have constant food cues of like um, food around the house and stuff like that, that is just out and just, just handy. And like Easter's just gone. I'm, the, the, more, the more chocolate you have laying around, the more you ate. Simple as that. Um, um, we could, I actually, the, uh, the willpower stuff is pretty interesting. Um, so I don't know if this is entirely true, but apparently we have a, a it's actually, I've, I've read papers a while ago um, for and against this point of view, but apparently uh, our willpower is a, a fine, is in a finite capacity, um, which, which me personally, that makes sense. Like if you, if you, if you put me in a position where I have to um, not do something that I want to do, uh, chances are I'm going to either do it in, if you, if you leave it there for long enough, um, or I'm going to, my willpower is going to be diminished on something else. So just because I don't, um, just because I keep my field on track doesn't mean that I do, I do less study and I spend more time on Instagram. Mm. Um, so little, little kind of things like that. I hope, hope that is um, of, of value. Um, so yeah, that is, that is our, our craving signal. Do you think that something that, just as you, as you were speaking there, was, was triggering a thought process in my mind? We had recently a, a client, just just more, not really in a sense of, of craving, kind of kind of craving, yeah. Do you think that people will crave food, even though they're not hungry, just out of what we would call like a habitual front? So let's say for your entire life, if you have been kind of thought to graze and you graze and graze and graze and you may not eat meals, but you may eat up to 10 times a day, just little bits here and there. And then all of a sudden you're put into a structure from a nutritional perspective where we say right, five meals a day, but that five meals has gone from 10 grazes to five meals does that have a huge capacity and why people may not not necessarily feel hungry they're definitely not hungry but they feel the need to constantly have something yeah um this is such a mess because it's so complicated and there's such a psychological component to it and so yes absolutely um just just like hunger is probably not the reason you're um, I don't, I don't, like hunger is probably not the reason what, why your your adherence is not where it needs to be. Yeah. No, no, it's, it's normal to get hungry. I'm I'm actually hungry right now. Speaking about this, <laughs> but um, like we, we will we will we'll touch on touch on kind of things things in time. What are going to ma manipulate this a, a little bit more? 
Okay. Um, when we look at then training, obviously tr- training plays a, a pretty big role from an, an appetite perspective. Um, is there anything we should be kind of looking out for when it comes to our training or anything we need to be doing in regards to training to improve or fix the issue? Yeah, so, so training actually doesn't um, training doesn't actually look to have massive impact impact on appetite, um, which is which is actually pretty like a, a good thing. Um, so, for example, it doesn't decrease it. It does decrease your appetite temporarily. So, um, if you train your appetite, your your ghrelin will be deep, decreased for um, about thirty minutes post workout, but then it will rise back up to like normal. Um, but if you um, if you train somebody really, if you, I think, I think they use like 1200 calories. If you do 1200 calories worth of cardio versus reduce 1200 calories in somebody's meal, you know yourself, what's driving more hungry there? What's driving more hungry there? Um, but yeah, no. It, so if you do, let's say for example, you do 300 calories worth of cardio um, you'll be in a 300 calorie deficit and your appetite won't look to eat up here. Now, so I was meant, there's, there's one thing that I have in my brain that could be incorrect. Um, and, it, and it could be that excessive appetite drives excessive overeat. Sorry, excessive training drives excessive overeating. I have it in my brain somewhere. I don't know where it's from. And I didn't get a chance to look into it. And it wasn't going, it was not, it wasn't actually meant to come out of my mouth. But anyway, it's out the open now. <laughs> no, it makes sense. It, it, you, you know, if you went to new gym tomorrow, you trained in a new environment with new people, you don't legs, you don't a cruder of a session, overloaded on volume, you may you may not feel hungry hungry in a sense of day, but it's definitely a need to have more food. Maybe it's the body sending a signal to try to replenish what it's just lost because it's something out of the ordinary. But I think you're spot on. And one of the adjustments that I will always make from a coaching perspective is I will always always push training volume output levels neat levels before i push food because we know that food like you said probably more from the psychological aspect if i was to take 300 calories of food away from myself now i'm on prep i'm on 3200 calories you take 300 calories off me off my day i'm gonna feel that if you said to me jump on a spin bike and do 300 calories i can just jump on there shoot you a couple of emails and it will be an it won't affect me at all Yeah, um, uh, we we chat about that all the time. You're like, no, add more cardio. What are you talking about? Removing pulling food down. <laughs> I'll do it. You know, I, I just I just think from from my own perspective, and I just know from clients, they I would rather that ninety nine percent of people would rather do more and just keep their food high. It's it's just it's just the way it is, and there's pr- probably no real like explanation or reason behind it. It just and, and I suppose I, I myself rather keep my food high. I'd rather do an hour's cardio a day than keep an extra 600 calories into my food 100%. Especially, especially when, you, when you come to the deeper end of a diet and you, you're looking at creating more adherence, appetite fucking ruins adherence 110%. And if you can try to improve that appetite by then in return going to improve adherence, it is by making one of those small small adjustments you know myself and yourself the reason why we get along so well is we have the same coaching values and that is when you start someone off you don't rock bottom 
the food. You don't skyrocket the cardio because you're just setting them up for what we're talking about here. You're setting them up for lower, lower adherence levels, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I, I couldn't, couldn't agree more down. Um, I suppose not, not that we like, not that we like to give out, but yeah, uh, like we need, we need places to go. And if you start somebody with, you start starting high, they're just not going to, people are not going to stick to things long-term. Um, no. No, they, I, I fully agree. And I think, like you said, we're, we're, we're not like having a go at anyone in particular here, but we're, we're just, we're just speaking in generality. Look, we've both been, and I think that's the most important thing as well is understanding firsthand what it's like, understanding going through a diet, knowing that you started off in your food in a very, very high place. And just over time, there was little drop-offs every now and again, just a little manipulation of food or manipulation of cardio. And you finish off and you're in a good place with food. Your appetite is in a great position. Your adherence is in a phenomenal position. Mentally, you're in a great place versus going down the opposite. I've been down that road where you started off and all of a sudden there's this massive plummet. And look, when energy is taken away, there there is that signal response from like, save me mode to the body goes into where you are going to feel feel the effects of it yeah like um i just have a really off topic question but how low has your food ever been uh, in 2016 it went pretty like we went i don't know calories they're going to be less way less than 2000 but in 2016 i done over 20 i think it was 25 days on 50 grams of carbs a day Oh, nice man. Yeah, 25 days. And protein probably was in the 180 to 200, but fat was very low, like minimal fat. I think my fat probably would have been only about 25 grams. Well, then, then your, your, your calves are probably like looking at like, again, 14, 15. Probably, yeah. I've, yeah. I've, 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 seen, I've seen that as well. Um, and do, you know, do you know the only reason why? And this is something that I hate so much, but chasing weight, man, trying to make 2016 Nabba, Mr. Ireland, trying to make 74 kilo. And like I walk around, cruise around 101, 102. And I don't know why I always think it's a great idea to compete at 74. But a month out, I think I was, I don't know off the top of my head, but I was definitely in the 80s like 25 days out and I had to make 74. So it was like drastic times call for drastic measures, 50 grams of carbs a day. And again, it, it was one of those coaching approaches that like, it, it wasn't a logical approach to take. And it wasn't the right approach to take as well. I was lean. I could have competed at a heavier weight if I wanted to, but it was just, again, not, not taken into consideration, like appetite and adherence. And luckily, luckily I was in a prep mentality where I had, that bulletproof mindset where you could put me on no carbs and I still would have done it. But looking back now, it wasn't the right approach to take. <laughs> I don't, I don't want any names. Um, but were you, were you were working with a coach? Yeah. Oh yeah. I was being coached. Yeah. I was being coached. Yeah. And look, I think at the same time, it was just, it, it was what had to be done as yeah. well, you know, but like I'm saying like I couldn't get a calorie number because we, we didn't track cals. Um, I actually just, just ran off as a very kind of strange setup, but we just ran off carbs. So the training day could be like, yeah, the training day, like starting off 450 grams of carbs and it was dropped down to like 400, 350, 352. To, that's the way the drop-offs went. 
and there's no there's no nutritional like top up of protein or fat. Okay. <laughs> I know it's even when I say it now, I laugh out loud because it's fucking crazy. But look, but look, I got to the stage and I ended up winning the show anyway. So I came first in my class. So I obviously done something right. But um, yeah, man, those depletions are very, very tough. I, I suppose it, it. See, it's a very. Um, I think we do need to take a minute to to explain that the very different story when you're in our our. Um, shoes that's the word I was going to say in our feet um, yeah. Yeah, like when, when you have did this for so long when you like and, and when, when it's for a competition and when you know okay it's not going to have any long term psychological effects it's not having effect on um, any endogenous hormone production um, li- little things like that that w- we take into consideration as as coaches with, with clients where you're just like no I'm not I like to ju- just certain levels of food with people that you're just like no i'm not pushing hard at night if 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 you if things don't respond yeah let's pull you up to maintenance for a couple of weeks uh, spend a bit of time there and we'll we'll drop things back down to where they are now Um, and if we can get the ball rolling again good if we can't so be it i'm out Um, i think there is that there is that application of time and place and you know for for coaches it is extremely important and look I, I I I always see this from both ends of the spectrum. I see it I see it from from our end where, look, when we call it a spade a spade. We are an aggressive results driven coaching business, and we we get people very lean. But we also try to do it in the safest way possible. But I also look at it in a sense of there there is a time and a place for things. You know, when you when you enter into a prep, you are in that elite level. Like whether it's you want to get absolutely shredded for a photo shoot or you 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 um you want to get shredded for a photo shoot or a show you're in that elite level and the elite can be pushed that little bit harder because what i what i feel there's a massive incentive at the end of it you know for me it was like i had to win that show like five months into that five months prior i had one thing on my mind and i was like i'll win that show i'll win that show and i told myself that Every step on that stairmaster, when those fifty grams of carbs were going in, I didn't care. But and I think the people going through going through prep as well have that mentality. You know, when they get to their photo shoot, they're like, "This is going to be the best photo shoot." Like, this is trust me, this is going to be the best. And they're like, they'll do it. But at the same time, where I'm going with this, when we see and we hear a lot, obviously as coaches, we hear from other people when other people are put through those extremities who don't have an incentive. That's where kind of I draw the line a lot there, you know, and it's just your gen pops that are put on an hour's cardio a day and 1100 calories a day. You're like, even I wouldn't do that to a fucking prep client. Like you're like, okay, that's pretty extreme for somebody who has no incentive. And then people wonder why, you know, I know we're going off on a little bit of a rant, rant tangent here, but people always ask the question of, you know, why don't plans work? And, you know, with this approach with that coach wasn't sustainable. And, you know, I, I tried this before and it wasn't sustainable. Well, you have to create something that's extremely sustainable all the time, no matter what the, the circumstance of the goal is, whether it's just a gem pop looking to lose weight, whether it's just some guy looking to tone up a little bit or a girl looking to get in front of a photo shoot or step on stage, everything has to be sustainable. But it's sustainable that's sustainability that's then applied directly to that client's ability because your ability changes completely based on what's in front of you do you have 
an incentive. Look, we, we could we could put a female client and prep on 1250 calories a day and give them 45 minutes to an hour's cardio a day or whatever it may be, but they have a massive incentive at the end of that. And it's, I think it's that 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 in my eyes separates someone who is, you know, I suppose what's her look for somebody who is very um what's her look for not not appreciative of their health but um I can't think of the word, but somebody who will prioritize their health an awful lot more <laughs> than prioritize the longevity of them. And then that in return gets results rather than, again, what we just spoke about, it's just giving them the kind of hell approach of super low food, super high output when it's just not applicable to them. Um, and on that note, we can, we can tie that back into the very real possibility that long-term weight loss, fat loss, is very difficult like no like it just from a gen population perspective to actually like it, it is because of these regulatory mechanisms so we have seen that these high levels of leptin that come with the high levels of body fat or the, these no, sorry these normal levels of body, body fat is your normal leptin level let's say if you drop your body fat leptin levels drop hunger increases there will there, there, there is the opportunity that that increase in hunger will be enough that over like the weight that you lost over a year over four years time that will regain that's why that's why no, I always kind of cringe when people are like it's a lifestyle it's a lifestyle choice it's just like yeah, it is. No, it is. It is. Yeah, okay, it is. But like, I just cringe when people say, "I don't know why." Are you talking about weight gain. So I'm I'm talking about like, if if we're looking to lose weight and keep it off. Oh, sorry. I thought you meant weight gain. Like, if someone gains weight, you're like, it's a lifestyle choice. No. Like, yeah. Yes, it is. One hundred percent, it's a lifestyle choice. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like, if if you lose weight, and you yeah. need to stay sorry. there, just like okay, it's like. Certain things that I was doing wrong, and the fact, certain things that I was doing wrong, it's just like I can't, I can't really do them anymore. And if, yeah. so, so certain things like, you can't always. It, it's important to eat nice food. It's really, really important to eat nice food. But you cannot always eat hyper palatable foods. Hyper palatable foods constantly. You can't have them fit in in your diet. It's really important you keep them in in moderation. So it is really important that if you are just a normal person, that you can have a takeaway in the weekend. It is important that you can have these these things in. But like, you're probably not going to be able to have. Again, this is I need to explain after. Probably not going to be able to have like a packet of crisps. Let's say, mm. yeah, it's, it's, that's a stupid statement. Because no, 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 no. It's not. It's not. You're you're bang on. I know. I know what you mean. It's like their previous i know you kind of cringe at lifestyle but their lifestyle got them to a point where they needed help they can't then just lose that weight and think okay if i just revert immediately back into that lifestyle then i'm going to stay the way i was i know like crisps is a prime example one of the worst foods food sources you can eat like horrendous but people think oh i'll just include it in no 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 no. it doesn't it doesn't work that way like we, we all know that when it comes to food the 80 20 approach probably for a lot of people is a, is a good is a good way to look at it like i don't like the approach personally but it's a great way to look at it 80 percent is clean as a whistle and you have that little bit of a drop off and that's when like when we program for people 
Like when we we when we give them guidelines on food, it's like yes, you can have Coca Pops pre or post workout. No, yes, you can have you know maybe a couple of Rice crispy bars and that's post workout meal as well. But that's just what people see on Instagram. They don't see them eating a chicken and rice dish with a ton of veg. They don't see them having like a fish salad or a salmon salad before or after that. They just see like the highlight reel and probably down to maybe social media might play a role in this, but like a lot of people are fascinated with that highlight reel and then think that they can implement that highlight reel into their life and food sources. And again, I know we, <laughs> we both kind of laughed at that whole lifestyle thing, but like fat loss has to be a lifestyle change. It has yes. to be because you, you, your lifestyle you previously lived got you to a point where you needed help and you can't go back to that because unfortunately it's just going to be like an avalanche effect that you can't stop. Yeah. So it, it, it's a, it's a difficult one to explain because like I, I do, especially if so many pe- people are like preaching, preaching balance and stuff and balance, balance is, yeah, it's, it's cool. But like balance actually means 50, 50 and we don't want 50, 50. Like, um, but from let's say for example with the crisps like what what are you getting what are you getting from that it's like yeah you can make that fit absolutely but you can also make that fit and have a a really good diet as well it's only 200 calories or something like that so you you can definitely do that but it's like if you want to make these things fit constantly it's like if if, if you're trying to very quickly turn your your packet of crisps into a thousand calories of like air if you're eating a thousand calories of air a day you're not going to one probably successfully finish a fat loss phase. Yes, you can calories in versus calories. I, I understand, but you're not going to be able to stay where you want to be. And um, you're gonna make it's gonna be so difficult for yourself to get there. It's gonna suck so much. Just eat, eat more veg. Um, eat more veg and be be happy living a life of eating more veg. Yeah, <laughs> like I don't. It needs like that is that is it can be nice. It can be enjoyable. Make 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 it nice. Like put put some effort into it. Um. And it will be something that you will be able to do forever. And it'll be something that will keep you at the body weight that you want to stay at forever. 100%. And maintenance comes at many, many different levels. And when you talk about, look, if you want to go from female 15 stone to 14 stone, your level of maintenance at 14 stone is going to be completely different. But at the same time, if you want to get to like a healthier weight and a healthier body composition, it's going to massively improve your health, improve your longevity, really go with the grain of that longevity of life. Well, then let's get that body composition way down. And when you get that body composition way down and you become a lot healthier, that then comes with a lifestyle change as well. And that lifestyle change needs needs to be appreciated perfectly. Like two prime examples there that you used. I know you probably thought you were going off in a bit of a tangent, but crisps and, crisps and veg. Like those, that's the the choices that people make. Like pe- people do make those choices, and it it is it's 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 probably hard for us to understand because we've probably never been in that situation. But I I personally feel like nutrition is so much ha- habit based, and the the environments that that we are in, and when it when it comes to that shift change in lifestyle, it's also shift changing in a habit. And look, changing in a habit is a very very difficult thing to do. But then also you have to weigh up in your mindset, where do you feel it matters the most? Are you happy to be in an unhealthy weight? Are you happy to get to a point of weight loss and have to pay that very, very difficult psychological repercussion of going back up again, just because you didn't make the correct choices in that maintenance phase? Like you said, 
eat more veg, be healthy 80, 90% of the time and have the little bit of freedom here and there. But it's like when that freedom creeps from a 20%, 30%, 40%, 50%, and then all of a sudden it's like the old lifestyle is just creeping back in. And it, it, it's a difficult one, but one that I think needs to be brought up definitely 100% and definitely needs to be spoken about. Um, yeah, um, so I have a, a cool little quote. Um, so food quantity, so, sorry, food quality will impact food quantity. Hmm. Um, so, which, which makes so, so much sense. Like if you're, we've, we've spoken about it enough, but it's, it's very true. Um, it's very true. We, we were just about to go into the same topic we spoke about again. <laughs> uh, right, so let's just, let's go a little bit into, um, I suppose maybe lifestyle factors. So a little bit on, on sleep and stress, how they can affect hunger and appetite. So this is really, really cool, actually. Um, so for, first of all, sleep-wise, so sleep, uh, sleep deprivation will increase, increase gradual. Um, um, stress, is, stress is a really interesting and exciting one. Um, so the way stress, stress acts on appetite is it only, stress only increases appetite and calorie intake if hyperpalatable foods are present. So if you know yourself, like like if if you're sitting there and you have in your your stress, as I, the the thought of eating your normal food goes out the window, but you're thought of having hammering hammering six. I was gonna say Linda oil little eggs. That that, was, <laughs> but that 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 to me sounds good. Oh yeah. So it's really important that we know. If, if we feel like our, we have somewhat of control of when our stressful situations are, that we're organized and ready for them. It's like, okay, my job is quite stressful. It's like, okay, I'm organized for it. I'm ready. Um, I, I, ha- I have my food here. I have the hyperpalatable stuff is away from me. Um, I'm going to be stressed today. Cool. But I'm, I'm, I'm ready. I have my food prepped. I'm like, um, and so one, one of the big things is you need to feel for a diet adherence in a stress state you need to feel like it is a stress that you are you have somewhat of a control over um, and if, and if you can control your energy intake by having your meals prepped and stuff then you have control of it um, and then so i think it was done in rat models um but this mpy this hunger promoting MP, mpy that i was i was speaking about will be increased with um in, increases in cortisol Okay, very interesting. Yeah, and again, in, but interesting, but really, really applicable for a lot of people who probably understand that more from a stress standpoint. Yeah, like one hundred percent. I know we, we preach a lot about the, the stress, stress around food, and trying to bring yourself into that lower and um, kind of more sympathetic, parasympathetic tone, and trying to alleviate that sympathetic response. And it's it's very true. But then also, I think what is very important is understanding the switch as well. Um. We need to do a podcast on stress big time because there's so many different pathways that we can we can speak about. But just one thing about about that is, you know, there's a lot of the different stressors that we have. And even when it comes to psychological or physical, if you go through like a very, very taxing training session, it's always good to be able to make that switch post-workout so that when we're coming into that more of a healthier approach to the post-workout meal or remaining food throughout the day, sometimes could we maybe argue that training sessions may be that bit too taxing that we're not recovering from we're not controlling that 
stress response that's maybe leading then to potentially having other foods like you said the more highly palatable except stress is not only um physical psychological like there's a, a thousand different impacts that stress can have on the body that may be impacting food and hunger as well yeah um so just one thing um that might be cool to touch on um, it's just just the impacts of menstrual cycle and what act, what actually is the the mechanisms drive, driving that. So I, I I've touched on that before when when we were doing the um, seminars. But so one, one thing we will see in the follicular phase or so F follicular first. Um, I, I use that. I always remember that. I always I always remember that since the since the seminar follicular comes first, the tails comes last. I like you should hear the rhymes I have in my head for remembering. <laughs> like you, you think I'm absolutely tapped. It's good though because it's it's a very easy one to remember. Um, but so what we will see is in this estrogen dominant phase. So there's I'm not sure maybe we've heard of like um, leptin sensitivity versus leptin resistance, and there is the possibility that we see leptin leptin resistance in again these are clinical models, so I don't really pay too much attention because it's not too pra- practical to clients. Um, but we will see with the follicular phase the estrogen dominant phase we will see an increase in serotonin leading to a um increase in leptin but also with estrogen comes an increase in leptin sensitivity so that would be like the ability for leptin to act well or bind properly um but also in female in females they have upwards of no, it's not, not upwards. I think they have four, four times the amount of, of leptin than males, which is pretty pretty interesting. Yeah, cool. Yeah, <laughs> isn't that very interesting? Is is there is there an effect in the latter phase of cycle? Yes. So we're ju- we're just going to see, like, obviously with, with the, the diminishing um the diminishing estrogen um we we will see, see the increase in appetite. Okay, very interesting. Very interesting. Um, environmental. Then, is there anything we, we could kind of could be paying close attention to from an environmental standpoint around appetite and hunger? Yeah. So I feel like we, we've we ended up talking about this quite quite a lot already. Um, but one one of the, the big things that we see is um the the people that surround you. And I know we, we talked about this like completely unrelated with like Lucia and Amy Pryor, but if you're going through a, a fat loss phase that is going to like it, it fat loss phase is relatively easy but there's gonna be times where it sucks mm-hmm. and if you, if you don't have people around you that are like and, and it can't it can't just be your coach it has to be people that are around you that are like no like you're, you're doing this for a reason and um, so I, I think i think it's i think it's really important that we make a big deal out of these things it's just like i'm i'm going through this fat loss phase and this is important to me so like you, you, but better, better get on board, especially when it's people that are like really close to you, but you see every day. Yeah. Um, it's like you better get on board. Um, and it's it's really important that like I don't know, maybe maybe you're like calling out people that are n- like not being helpful, and I I don't mean like not actively being helpful, but people that are being unhelpful. Um, by like telling you, like, like trying to like push food towards you and stuff like that, and being like. Yeah. Um, because yeah, there's a, a, lot, a lot of people. There's the opportunity that people want to see you fail because they can't do it themselves. 
Oh, that's going to open up a whole a whole kind of worms, but one hundred percent. I say I say to people to start to prep for every single person. The first thing that I say is you must sit down with your close family, friends, partners, and tell them the journey that you are about to go down. And what the first couple of weeks of coaching, the one thing we always ask is how has your partner been helpful and supportive? And we saw it so many times partners becoming manipulative and look people hate to see other people succeed and especially may or may not be partners but probably other family members if you're doing something like a weight loss journey fat loss phase photo shoot prep and they can't do it themselves people can become very very malicious but i think i think that's got that's going to be um probably a lot more present than we think in people is that malicious action of other family members and people in their close bubble to try to kind of knock them off what they, what they cannot achieve but i think i think for for that having the conversation helps out an awful lot you know and i think as well when it comes to these things you know when i was speaking about hunger here but when it comes to entering into a deficit of course hunger and appetite are going to be present and when people don't know as well they don't know and i love that saying when you don't know you don't know and it's so true when it comes to this topic because if you are going through a fat loss phase and you don't bring forward to people that you're going to feel hungry you don't bring forward to people look on a saturday night you know just please don't offer me the takeaway you know when i come down for a coffee and a cup of tea please don't offer me the biscuits how do they know that they're not supposed to do that unless you pull forward to them and probably you know people will get resentful and you know probably push towards and, and lash out when it probably could have been preempted in the first place yeah. having a very simple conversation yeah don't 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 do it later don't yeah. do it in one, one situation when you tell them how shit they are because they can't do it themselves <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know preempt, preempt that for us and like like we said we'll always do at the start we'll always have have conversations with our clients because look there's been a, so many cases with us where it's started to creep in from the start and you know it's been the partner on a saturday saying, come on you can just have one takeaway and you know or maybe we'll just order a camille it's not that bad and those little things can set in but then at the same time you can look at it from two different perspectives are they being malicious or, or do they just they just don't know? It's a very it's a far, a very hard one to, to say. But I think the from an environmental perspective, yes, the, the conversation needs to be had, and people need to need to know your journey. Yeah, um, and also like so, sometimes I, I don't know may, maybe from a just like a, a me to Lucia perspective, where like I I her body comp- composition is for her. You get me like I do not have an opinion on it. It's like whatever she, whatever phase she's going through, it's just like great, good, good, good for you. Um, so so like leaving her at that and being supportive is all you have to do, and not re- like and not being like oh well, I it doesn't bother me how, how she looks, so it's cool for us to get a takeaway together because she's uh, like I assume she's doing it for me when she's fucking not. She's doing it for herself. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, like little little things like that. Um. Now, I suppose we're probably speaking to the wrong people here. <laughs> yeah. But again, it, it just comes down to understanding of it. Look, 
I, I think I only had this conversation with one of our tier one clients um, during the week and it was that position of what we understand and what we take for granted. What we understand, we take for granted. And what I mean by that is we may think coming into a deficit, you're going to get hungry and you can't eat that food. But so many other people around us don't know that 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 information and having having a very, very clear approach and having everyone around you involved in the journey as well, I think is a big one. So for, from what I think a, a kind of a good take on from that one would be when it comes to the environment, try to incorporate the people around you as much as you can from within that journey. Because when you become very in, enclosed, it's not the most, it's not the healthiest way to, to approach it. So, you know, if you have scheduled steps, try to bring your partner along. If you have scheduled daylight exposure, try to include them. And look, it never hurts anyone else to go through a diet. If you're going through a diet, why can't they go through a little one as well? Look, it's so much easier to go through a fat loss phase when the opposing person in the house is going through it with you, 100%. Absolutely. Um, yeah. There's been some times when Lucia's food has been higher than mine. That's not a fantastic. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. Or, or like when it's the opposite, you know, when you're going through a gaining phase or you're pushing food and she's pulling back very difficult yeah but i suppose we if we can use food as more of a a time to spend time with loved ones as opposed to let's shovel nice stuff into my gob yeah um, and, and like if, if you can still sit for half an hour and have a nice meal and it fits into your goal and your values then like yeah. why is that why is that not equally as enjoyable no I, I understand why it's not but it can be yeah um, especially especially when we're working towards that long longer term goal that takes the takes do, doing what is necessary is there any um is there any just practical applications you want to pull in um, and we'll, we'll wrap up on that one yeah um so food volume is key um i i haven't had I, I find it so funny um, setting with people and they're coming back and be like, ah, I'm, I'm absolutely stuffed. And they're like, in, in, in a pretty decent, pretty decent deficit, being like, no, I'm absolutely stuffed. I'm like, good, good, good. Like, that's okay. Um, pretty, pretty cool thing I was looking into recently. Um, so we can maybe see some hypothalamic inflammation from saturated fat intake which can be counteracted by um, epa so fish oil um that can reduce appetite because the saturated fat driven inflammation may dysregulate appetite signaling which is very cool so take your fish oils for that reason and everything else um high, high protein is just like prerequisite i think everyone knows that it's it's, it's a great way of keeping hunger low and um, make adherence easy so like do do your own food shop um maybe maybe what you'll do is have i've just noticed this like over lockdown actually tends to be quite handy but like if you order your food in like order your your, your food shop and I, I don't know an extra five or something like that and you have like the same thing in your cart every single time and you just order it in as, as opposed to you having especially if you're like you're you're tracking things and you're con you're trying to make things fit and you're like okay what cereal will I try today but instead of just like kind of ordering the same same baseline baseline um 20 30 food types that, that, you, that you're going to eat that might be a good, good plan um long-term fat loss success um 
it's going to be driven by you making things and we chat so much just make it enjoyable um fat, fat loss doesn't it isn't difficult just because people people tend to big up what they're going through um so just because you've heard heard stories of, of how disciplined other people are being they're not it's just eating in a slight deficit it's very easy um so like approach it with that mindset it's like no, i'm just just eating touch less calories. i, I kind of do this during the week sometimes anyway so like i'm actually I, i'm eating more protein now i'm probably actually fuller i probably feel better i'm training and building muscles like all this good stuff um so sleep and stress are going to impair it's one thing i forgot to touch on they're going to impair executive function so um sleep um blah, 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 the word when you don't get enough sleep deprivation yeah yeah the deprivation yeah it's like i'm very i'm very tired um Sleep deprivation and stress are going to impair executive functions. That is your ability to do the hard thing. So your ability to do what is right for your values. Um, so make sure your sleep and stress are in a great position. And if they're not, make things as easy as possible for you to stay on plan. And constant food, food cues of having snacks around the house and stuff. No need. Good, yeah. I like the last one. It's so, so applicable. So, so applicable to so many people. Um, right, dude. I'm I'm happy with that. Do you want to touch on anything else? No, I'm done. <laughs> right, dude. Uh, we'll wrap up there. Thanks, Mel, guys. Speak to you soon. Cheers.